0: and welcome to the Great Georgia Pollinator Podcast. My name is Becky Griffin, and I'm your host and the coordinator for the Great Georgia Pollinator Census. Today, I am very excited to have as my guest, Jenny Bailey. And Jenny comes to us from, as we would say, across the pond, uh, from the UK, and I do not mean University of Kentucky, all the way from south of London. And Jenny and I got connected because we both share a passion for insect conservation. So Jenny, I'm gonna turn it over to you and allow you a minute or two to introduce yourself and talk about how you got involved in this very important cause. Good morning.
1: Good morning. Oh, thank you so much, Becky. And thank you for what a lovely introduction as well. It's, um, it's really great to be here and to join you guys. So, so thank you for this opportunity. Um, yes, we got talking, didn't we? Um, and we found out that we had a very common um, common interest and love and respect, really, for uh, for pollinators. Um, I've had a huge respect for pollinators ever since I heard they were in major decline back in 2019. I mean, although before that, I mean, I've been brought up in the countryside and I respect all, all living forms, really, um, animals and wildlife. And so that's been in me a long time. But when I actually heard they were in decline, I thought, Let's do something let let's do something to help, let's do something more. so I filled my garden up with lavender, and I'm not necessarily a gardener as as such, um but I just thought well, I can do something to help and by myself doing something, I felt better when I saw the bees and, and other pollinators come along to um to the uh, to the blooms that I'd planted and I just thought. You know later on when I had that conversation when we thought about the whole venture I thought if we can perpetuate that feeling then we've done something good.
0: Right I think it's uh, you hit upon a very important part a point that we both agree on and that's empowerment. Mm. Um, insect conservation is something everybody can do whether you have a farm a small garden or even a, a patio uh, yes. with a small um, garden full of container plants you can really make a difference in the lives of these pollinators and that's empowering knowing that we all can. So what is the big project that you are doing to help uh, teach others about pollinators? Well, what we've actually done, because
1: we heard that the bees uh, were in major decline back in 2019, and they were given the title, weren't they, of the world's most important living species on the planet, which I wholeheartedly believe that they are. So they've got that status. Um, Around that time, um, a great... um, um, environmentalist and an animal man who is the nation's treasure, really, so David Attenborough, said at the same time that the Garden of Eden was no more. And again, that got me thinking that I need to do something to help. So, as well as filling the garden and putting nest boxes up in the woods and other things we were doing, I just thought, what more can I do, really? And it was through a chance conversation with a friend who's a continuity announcer. I now know her as Mother Earth. We came up with the idea of, um, of writing children's storybooks that could give them a realistic view of animals and insects and how they're coping in today's um, troubled environment, shall we say, how they're actually coping, how they're living, um, And but more importantly as well is what we can actually do to help them. And the first story I wrote once we'd kind of put this idea together was Phoebe the Bee that I wrote in the space of two days, so it was all on my mind. Um, and I tested it on my children, and I tested it on some other family children and some other um, school children, and and it kind of took off Pardon the pun, but it kind of took off from there because what we actually want to do in our storybooks is not just give a relay a story to children, but also to touch their hearts and empower them to know what they can do the, those points of action that they can take to actually improve the the life of a bee so like you're saying we can all do something and I think to actually inform children that and give them that empowerment. is really strong and then they can go out and plant wildflower seeds or they can plant the right flowers in their gardens because, as we know, not all flowers are right for bees. Um, It's amazing that that's not the case, but people think, oh, it's a flower, you know, the bees are going to love it. And that's not the case at all. So they they need that education in terms of the right flowers um, and the right seasons and all that sort of thing. And then when children do that action and they see those bees and pollinators come along, they can imprint on them from quite a young age that they've done something really special. And that's what we wanted to perpetuate again that feeling of empowerment throughout our stories and Phoebe
0: the bee was the first one for us. Phoebe the bee, I love that name. Yeah, and like that yeah these books are, uh, what I like about your approach is it's not just a book with a really great story, but you also give um, ideas for educators and lesson plans, and, and as you mentioned, action items, so it's not just you read the book and you feel really um, sad about bees, but happy about people can do something, you actually give, all right. not only can people do something, but you as a young person. A young person can truly make a difference, and that's something they're going to carry their whole lives. They're going to become um, policy advocates. They're going to grow up and have their own homes, their own spaces, and, and the information and the lessons they learned from Phoebe will carry them through. So tell us a little bit about the actual Phoebe the bee. What kind of bee is she?
1: Well, she's actually a honeybee. Um, But she's not a domesticated honeybee. She's a wild honeybee. Um, Obviously, the the bee for us and and Phoebe stands for all pollinators. Um, So it's not purely just a honeybee situation. It's it's all the pollinators. And obviously, going through this journey, I I learned that in our country, in the UK, we have about 260, 270 uh, different species of bee, um, of which, um, what, 90% of those are solitary bees. Um, And then from that um, that element that's left, most of those are obviously bumblebees. Um, And then obviously you get the honeybee in there too, but obviously um, people are also domesticating honeybees and and keeping them in hives. But what we wanted was Phoebe to be a wild honeybee and to actually experience through the story and touch children's hearts to the story that people are doing their gardens currently with little or no consideration for her needs. Um, And that really does go into all the pollinators that are having a hard time. People are obviously, heaven forbid, they're using artificial grass, which is magic. not letting their lawns grow very well um and and they're not letting those wild flowers that are naturally there bloom um that's why we made phoebe's favorite flower actually a dandelion because dandelions over here and i don't know if it's the same as you guys but they're termed as weeds over here and you know there's weed killer out to get them and we're right. saying no because a dandelion is so important as you know it's the first food for bees and pollinators um in the new season so right. don't you know let your dandelions grow because they've got something like what a pockets of nectar in each bloom that bees desperately need when they first emerge so it's again it's that education because if people know that then hopefully they'll want to help and hopefully they'll let those dandelions bloom a little bit longer exactly Um, but as well as that there's hard standing going in people are getting rid of their um their um gardens their front gardens and putting in um hard standings they put their cars on their driveways Um, there's decks going in and also the choice of flowers people are choosing they seem to be at the cottage garden although it was getting and starting to get a bit of a revival um, it doesn't seem to be that popular um, with some people because obviously it it can be seen as quite messy can't it but that's the beauty of it it's like nature needs a bit of mess and we've been conditioned to think we need our gardens to be neat and tidy and trimmed and clipped And that's not necessarily great for nature because nature needs that little bit of mess to survive and thrive. And You know, nettles at the back of the garden is a great thing for nature. So we need to be more considerate really for nature. We really do because, you know, we're a part of that, but we've kind of disconnected from it in a way. And we're like in our houses and they're out, you know the nature and the wild is out there, but we need to really have more consideration for it and let it thrive
0: because if if it thrives, then we're gonna thrive too. Exactly, and we have some of the same problems over here. We have homeowner associations, and those are um, sort of governing bodies of subdivisions of houses, and they like to see lawns that are weed-free. They like to see trees that maybe aren't native, um, that have no value to pollinators, but that is changing, and we're getting a little bit more of the wild in there. Um, So cottage gardens are something that over here we think when we think of England, we think of beautiful cottage gardens. Um, So you're saying that um, they are getting maybe starting to come back a little of that wild cottagey yeah. starting to come back. Well, that's great. Definitely. I mean, in the UK as well. I mean, the cottage
1: garden is is, is having a bit of a revival, which is great, and more so. We, we need to see that in in everyday um, gardens, most definitely. Um, but also, the pollinators have had such a bad time over here because we've lost what 97% of our wildflower meadows. So we've we've got a certain amount of forage that we need to put back, really, for the pollinators, so they can um so they can do okay, really. And we're Hi. looking. At Things like um, green corridors. Um, a lot of the um, wildlife trusts and the the, the campaign organisations, the welfare organisations for wildlife, is is looking at green corridors and how they can um, link the countryside to to people's gardens, to the cities, and, and green up. I think really is is kind of what's going on at the moment, which is really encouraging.
0: Oh yeah, we have um, cor- pollinator corridors. Is kind of how we're. And and the Great Georgia Pollinator Census, one of the goals is to create these pocket gardens that will connect so that hopefully in Georgia, especially we have monarch migration through our state and we would like to have, um, you know, make sure they have nutrition all the way down the state. Another thing you mentioned that will be uh, of news to people in the United States is um, honeybees. So in the United States, honeybees are not native. We have documentation that they were brought over in the 1600s from Europe, the Native Americans called them the white man's fly. But I know in uh, where you live, they are native, but you made a good distinction domesticated and undomesticated. So talk a little bit about that if you don't mind.
1: Yeah well I mean people they they love to keep bees and obviously they're keeping the bees or some hobbyists are out there keeping bees and there's amazing beekeepers that are out there looking after their bees and doing amazingly well as well but obviously it's it's that that's um, the honey, isn't it, that they're after. Um, and there's a commercial aspect there as well. Um, and so it's wonderful that they look after their bees um, and do that. But I also know other beekeepers that like to buy almost like barrel sort of um, structures and put them in trees and just let wild bees um, take them over. Um, and there's honey there, but the honey is obviously kept in there and, and it's all for the wild bees. So yeah that it's it's another thing there is a distinction and and there is a lot of people that seem to think right let's help the bees let's help the bees let's go and help um, the the honeybees and let's let's all become beekeepers, but that's not necessarily what we need right now, because the honeybee in its domestic state is doing absolutely fine. I mean, it's it's almost a case in point that uh, London, I don't think, can take any more hives because there's so many bees on the rooftops in London, which is which is great in some respects. But if it starts in, um, in um, impeding, if you like, on the um, on the native bees forage, then there's going to be um, a situation where there's going to be um, competition for the nectar and the pollen that's out there. And we don't want that. We right. want them all to be able to survive and thrive together. So I think we've got to be very aware um, in terms of how many bees are are there and how, many, how much forage there is for them. And so I think that's what's going on at the moment. A lot of people are saying more forage. This is what we need. We need those meadows back. We really right. do. And we need um, farmers and landowners to maybe provide some of the strips um along along the fields and and where the hedges are um to actually be those um wildlife corridors that you were talking about um and to encourage lots of wildlife there but the, if it starts really with putting the wildflowers back in those um back in those strips to entice the, the pollinators and i that's why again we started with phoebe the bee because it's like if you get the bee right other things are gonna come through, um it's like she, Phoebe almost holds that champion position in the environment to say if we can get the bees right, then we've got a chance of everything else coming together.
0: Right. that's a lot of um a lot of pressure on those tiny little bee wings of Phoebe. <laughs> yeah. she's got a lot of work to do, and yeah. we feel the same way the um The pollinator gardens bring in all sorts of other beneficial insects that help with crops, help with some of our pest control. Um, and they bring in the different kinds of bees. As as we talked about, honey bees are just one of the big pollination picture, and and some smaller bees are better at pollinating smaller flowers. And bees that have um, pollen gathering apparatus on the underside of their abdomen are really good for pollinating certain kinds of flowers. So we need all these kinds of bees. So it's very interesting. And something that you mentioned that on our last conversation that I looked up is something you said a moment ago, London is full of honeybees. So there Pretty are honeybees yeah. on all of the buildings and there's actually, you said a campaign to say, all right, no more. Uh, we, we don't have enough food for them in the city of London. So it's, it's a mostly a symbol. Yes, I don't
1: know if there's a campaign as such, but it's a consideration before anyone puts more um, bees on the top of roofs in London and the surrounding area, they've really got to consider what's there currently um, and, and what is enough in terms of um is there enough forage for the bees that are currently there um so yes we we need wildflowers everywhere let's face it those green corridors are going to help but we need a sustained program to really wild up and, and put more wildflowers and more forage um in our in our fields and in our parks um i mean going back to the parks that we have over here it's there's a battle going on here as well in the respect that everybody wants that neat and clipped and and grass cut down and 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 what the councils are trying to do across the land is kind of say well let's develop this area for the pollinators and and for the children to play in the meadow sort of thing and and let's keep this area clipped for a for for a kick around you know for the children to bring along a ball and they can kick it around but it, it's like the parks of which we have some amazing, beautiful parks. We need to again be more considerate um, because they need to work for wildlife as well as for us. We share them, and it's it's the environment that we both we both need. Um, and let heaven forbid, we, we we know how much now we need our parks. And um, from having. Um, you know reduced access to going outside when Covid was what it is, was um, at its height here everybody wanted to go and find a green space and and use that hour of recovery really to be in a green space and to be in nature so I think we we've learned a lesson how important um that green space is to us and how much we cherish to be in nature's environment and how much better we felt from being in there which 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 is great um it's great that people have um, awakened um, their their senses if you like to those ideals and to know how important it is to to be in those green spaces um, but i think now that we know and we want to be in those green spaces we've got to also take a step back and realize that those green spaces are an environment that we need to share and right. be
0: considerate to other life forms needs not just exactly ours. exactly um... So if you were to give somebody in London the top three things they could do for pollinator conservation, what would those be?
1: Well, do you know what? I've heard of people just um, gorilla planting, just throwing wildflower seeds everywhere. And because you don't need a lot of soil and very good soil, do you, to plant wildflower seeds and sow wildflower seeds that they come up in all sorts of places. Um, I've heard of some amazing campaigns where you get the trees growing um, on the the pavements um, and people have been scattering wildflower seeds around the bases of the trees. And those have been coming up. The councils have been getting into um, allowing some of the roundabouts And the green areas on the roundabouts and the road verges to grow um, and also put wildflower seeds in those as well. Um, The schools can get involved by putting a a little mini uh, meadow patch together and some of their field can be um, handed over to the wild and they can obviously watch it and see what develops in it. I mean it would be amazing science lesson wouldn't it for the children to go out and in the grass and and see you know look in the the buds and and the and the um the flowers and actually let's really look at it and see what's
0: happening there right see Um, how the flowers interact with the bees how they do that dance of evolution
1: yeah yeah, so you are all about
0: planting habitat that's what i'm hearing from you let's increase our habitat
1: yeah, so, increasing and
0: increasing forage, most
1: definitely, yeah.
0: Right, so we are definitely on the same page and it is wonderful to, to speak with you and hear what things are going on over there. They're very similar to what's going on over here and it's really encouraging and heartening to know that there are people all across the world who really are on the same page and working together because this is a global issue. I agree. So, um, yeah. One of the things before I let you go, I want to thank you again for your time today. It's been a joy and I know that you and I are, are going to be keeping in touch with what each other's doing and uh, I will have some information on how people can get in touch with you on the podcast notes um, so they can if they're interested in learning more about Phoebe and what's going on over in the UK but before I let you go I always have to ask all my guests to name their favorite insect and why so now Jenny Bailey what is your favorite insect and why
1: that's a hard question it's a really hard question I thought about that when you when you sent the details through and I was like my favorite insect I'm very it's it's hard for me to come up with a favorite of anything sometimes but i guess i do really love watching um leaf cutter bees that we have over here when especially when we have the bee hotels um which you can obviously make and put up in your garden as well another way to interact with with how they're coping and, and giving them that dwelling um to raise the next brood as it were um i love the fact that you know some plants you start, suddenly start seeing perfectly absolutely perfectly round holes cut out in the leaves and then you go and look in the tubes and they're they all are and they're perfectly um, arranged and I I just think that's lovely because it's happening in in front of your eyes and it's 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 incredible to witness
0: and it um, is amazing how she's exactly cutting out what she needs and carrying it and putting it to make that nest waterproof Exactly. I mean, it's just crazy how, how that all works together. So I I understand, I understand why that would be a favorite for you. But I also understand it's hard to pick and it depends on the day and what you've just seen in the garden. That's right. And it wasn't
1: necessarily your
0: favorite, (laughs) was it? It was your
1: favorite insect. I mean, I love ladybirds. I love butterflies. The colors of butterflies are amazing. But um, can I can I just say before we go, um, that the venture with Phoebe the Bee and Spike the Hedgehog and all the other um, stories that we've actually written, um, it's not purely a me thing. It, I, I'm the author, but I brought together a composer, an illustrator, a story editor who's a primary school teacher, um, and also obviously Mother Earth who narrates our stories. So each book comes with a CD or downloadable files. Um, it has a colouring in picture in there. It has the conservation message in there. Um, it's it's not just purely a book there's, there's lots more and there's obviously the cds in the back as well um so for a child from the ages of three to ten there's there's lots of activities to keep them um enriched in learning all about the life form that you know is the topic which obviously is phoebe the bee in her story um there's also a whole page of fun facts i mean when we tell children that bees have five eyes they're, they're just blown away <laughs> by that they're amazed they really are and the properties of honey that we go into as well because i think Children really need that connection between um, pollination service that bees obviously provide, and obviously the other pollinators provide as well. And then what appears on their on their food plate, you know, there's right. got to be that connection. So we also go out to schools and do story workshops and that kind of
0: thing. Yeah, um, that's that's so fun and so important. And we do uh, similar things with our schools here. And I'm with you when that that moment when a child makes that connection. Or sees that bee and looks at their tarsal claw, or the wings, or the pollen on their face, yes. and they they literally gasp. Um, yes. And that to me is it. That's why you do what you do because we are working together to have a generation who will make a continue our our work and continue like our a, work.
1: Absolutely, it's like an unstoppable wave of enthusiasm for change. It is at the moment, and and we're all part of this team, which is you know, believing that, you know, and, and hoping that we can, we can turn this around, we can, we can reach out to people, we can get them to see the wonders of nature and connect them with nature, which I think once someone's connected with nature, I don't think they'll ever turn away from because there is so much to learn, so much to see, so much to witness, just, just go into nature, go into an area or lift
0: up a, a rock or anything, and then just, just watch. Right. And, and I think we have an innate, something about being human, mm. we need to be, uh, connect with nature and I think you made a good point with when the COVID pandemic hit I think everybody took a moment and and got to spend a little more time maybe outside and, and saw things they were taking for granted as they whizzed by in their car on the way to whatever else that they you No, know,
1: well, that's exactly right they were listening to the birds singing you know for the first time in a long time and they yeah. some of them were getting up to listen to the dawn chorus and 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 in a way, it was comforting when we were stuck in our homes to actually look out into our gardens or our flower pots or, or or our balcony and actually see that nature was still was still happening. You know, it was still going on out there. And and you know, they've they've got they've got a reason for existence. They they've got their life form. I remember talking to my neighbour really quickly. I remember talking to my neighbour, and she used to say, well, "Well, Jen, you've you've changed me because now when I see ants, I don't step on them anymore." You know, <laughs> you know, punch them into the ground and then step on them and you go, oh, I don't like ants, they're horrible things, and I was like, well, if you think about it, they've got a reason for living, not just right. the fact that they're in the mere food chain, Um, obviously they're, they're the base of that, but, you know, they've got a reason, they've got to do something in that day, they've got to get some food, they've got to tend to their, their colony, they've got, you know, they've got lots to do, and, and it's it's not right for us just to go and stamp on them or get the mm-hmm. get the mm-hmm. ant powder out and just stamp them out because they're in our garden and they're being a nuisance. That they're, they're not being a nuisance and let's just watch them and see what happens. Right. And, and now she actually she's changed her mind completely. Well, there you go. So I you're doing your job.
0: I've <laughs> yeah, I've heard it <laughs> being said that um, we nature doesn't need us, but we need nature. So That's I true. think we uh, approaching it that way and being respectful is extremely important. And I will tell you, Jenny Bailey, I am glad to be on the same team as you are in this Oh, we're uh, waving the flag. I'm excited
1: to be on the same team as you, Benny.
0: Well, thanks again for for your time today and for our listeners. Um, Thank you for joining joining us and um, stay tuned for more episodes of the Great Georgia Pollinator Podcast. Thank you so much.